Because today we're continuing in the JD Greer Easter series that have, have proved to be so valuable to us over the last few weeks. And today is uh, the fourth one is called Punished for Me. So, yeah. <clears throat> but just before I jump into that, you, many of you will know that today in many churches in New Zealand and around the world, today we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday. That is the triumphal entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem with a large crowd waving palm trees, branches, throwing their their coats on the ground as Jesus rode in on a donkey. And for them, at last, the man who should be king was coming to take his place as king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Awesome. You are the Messiah. Come and be our king. And when we look at Jesus, we can see why they were so excited. Um... I mean, he'd just come in there. He'd only raised Lazarus from the dead a few days before. And over the years, as you know, he'd healed all the sick, the demon-possessed. He turned water into wine. He befriended tax collectors and got them to pay back four times everything they'd pinched and stolen. He'd fed thousands with a few fish and a couple of rolls. He seemed to love and care for everyone, the beggars, the prostitutes, all of them. He accepted them, including those that probably most of us may well shun. He touched lepers and healed them, beggars and blind men. And he took on the Pharisees and Sanhedrin, pointing out their faults and their lack of proper love and leadership and all those things. No one ever spoke like this man. And he wasn't any just fly by night. He'd been doing this for three years and had already been forced to leave town because they wanted to take him and make him king by force. I think if I would have been there, I'd have been pretty excited as well. What do you think? I'd have been really excited, just fantastic. And some churches reenact that as they do their things today. Excuse me. So Palm Sunday is also called the start of Holy Week, starting with the triumphal entry today and ending in a few days with Jesus' death. And the unfortunate thing is that some of those who are shouting Hosanna, come in the name of the Lord, were some of the ones who were also saying, crucify him a few days later. Um, And I just wanted to mention Palm Sunday as we move through the Holy Week. And looking at the series, um, one of the things I've really enjoyed about it is the personalising focus he's put on it, you know, that Jesus was betrayed by me. He was forsaken by me. He was accused for me. He didn't just die for me, he died instead of me. Jesus in my place. And I know a number of the life groups have taken the series to study further in depth at their meetings, and I think that's great because these are the events that absolutely undergird our faith. And Greer is not pulling any punches and being confronting about this, um, what has been done for us, and also what our response should be. Um, And on the other side, he's also showing really clearly what um, Jesus willingly chose to do on our behalf, his commitment and his sacrifice to enable us to be put right with God. And as we come to the fourth section, fourth session, I just want to run a little bit through the three that we've already had, just as a, a recap. And the first was called Betrayed by Me. And in this, in this thing, the challenge is put out to us, what does Jesus mean to you? That whole idea of what is your price? And he gave the image of Judas and that in many ways, actually, Judas was a little bit like some of us. Um, he wasn't so different from us. He wasn't just a scumbag. Um, he had his own thoughts on what Jesus should do, and he acted on that. And a couple of things um, about Judas that are warnings to us was that Judas actually had a price. 
on what he was prepared to accept or his expectations of Jesus and what he thought Jesus should do. And that also became a challenge to us. You know, do I have conditions around, uh, around me to maintain my loyalty to him? You know, do I, follow, do, we, do I follow to a point of a cost where I think, ah, no, I, I might bail on that. Um, you know, do I have 30 pieces of silver? And I think in some ways that there, were, there were two actu- two parts of what is your price. The first one is, is you surrender all to God when you come to him or when you recommit to him. But the other thing is what is your price is how he, out- he outworks his journey in us and changes us into and challenges on different things like I want to take this from you and I want to make you free in this area as well. Um, secondly, that Judas misunderstood Jesus in a couple of ways because he was expecting that Jesus would deal to those who caused him Judas grief, uh, Judas grief, yeah, um, and that Jesus, in that sense, was a means to an end for Judas, yeah, the blessing and reward thing. And the question is, and uh, you know, are we overwhelmed by forgiveness first and foremost to the exclusion of all, el- all else, or are we a little bit concerned about what we haven't received yet? It's confronting stuff, I know, but, but it really is the guts of us going on in him. You know, is Jesus beautiful in himself to us just by himself? And Because um, if, if he isn't, his activity won't make a lot of sense to us, and some of suffering won't make sense either, unless Jesus has his own beauty. Betrayed by me. The second session was called Forsaken for Me, and it actually focused on Gethsemane, that he made the point that Jesus... Um, did not face death with defiance as many martyrs did. In fact, he was utterly overwhelmed by it to the point of sweating drops of blood. And he told the story of the, of the boy that fell into his son, whose son fell into the swimming pool and basically drowned. And they pulled him out and were able to revive him. But if you remember, they talked about him having blotches on his face, which are burst blood capillaries. And they say for people who have been saved from drowning or who thought they were going to drown, it's actually a terrifying experience, absolutely terrifying. And um, you know, there was Jesus sweating drops of blood for us. And you know, for Jesus, Gethsemane was that he was on his own. God was silent and his friends were asleep. But in spite of this, he was still holding on to that purpose of who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And what was his joy? Us. Us. He was going through this for us. His love for us would not let him forsake us. And so we have two responses to that. Firstly, we need to receive his love. And again, Tammy, when you mentioned that of letting things rest in you, I personally have had... um, No, this was going to come. I actually have struggled to receive God's love, and I know that others have as well. And I just really want to pray that upon you. If you struggle to receive the love of what Jesus has done for you, please receive it from Him as His gift. And Lord, I just ask you touch any who are in that place. Yeah. And the other thing is that we that we should we should stand assured of His love for us in our darkest hour, whatever we're going through, because He already didn't forsake us in His darkest hour. Can we rest in that? And the thing about Gethsemane was it was a glimpse of Jesus' price that he paid for us, forsaken for me. The third session was called Accused for Me. And he talked about the fact that um, at his trial, Jesus largely remained silent. And he posed the question that if someone's in a trial, 
If they remain silent, does that tacitly mean, well, actually, they're guilty? And the truth was that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was guilty because he took our sins, all the filth that we did on him. He was accused of it all, and all our actions that warrant being sentenced, he took. He wasn't just dying for us, he was dying instead of us. And he, he talked in that about three groups of people in the room, or, or three in the court re representing three different types of responses. Firstly, the proud. The Sanhedrin, who were offended by Jesus, lumping him in with everyone and saying, you have to get saved like everyone else. They felt, because of their position, they had creds, they had status, but not with Jesus. Because the truth is, we, none of us have anything to bring to the negotiating table. There's nothing he owes us, and our response really should just be on our knees. And you may recall he talked about the options of the cross and the throne. Are you on the throne and Jesus on the cross, or is it the other way around? Yeah. So that was the first group. The second group was the distracted. Pilate, he called him. He knows Jesus is innocent, but washes his hands and appeases the crowd for the sake of his own skin. And he talked about this being indifference to Jesus. Not necessarily rejection of him, just, uh, yeah, just indifference to him. And he made the point which challenged the daylights out of me, was that distraction sent more people to hell than disbelief ever did. And there's a challenge for us. Who are our distracted friends and family? I'm going to come back to that later on. Yeah. And the third one person in the courtroom was the spared. Barabbas, who should have died, didn't. We're the spared. Accused for me. Yeah. So this brings us to the fourth session, which is called Punished for Me. You know, when I focus on Good Friday, it still stuns me to know that Jesus' mission was to endure the penalty of sin in my place. I think of the pain he went through. I think of the humiliation he went through. It really baffles me that Almighty God, with all his power and strength and might, allowed himself to be subjected by us, us who are so far below him, to be subjected and tortured and killed in such a way. It just blows me away. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and also think of that point at which all the degradation and filth came upon his pure shoulders as well. It's just, just amazing. And that whole idea of him being cut off from God as well. Yeah, it really is an unfathomable love that we, he has for us. And so I just ask you to keep those things in mind as the, as the place. Darkness was over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of them took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and gave it to him 
to drink. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We come now to the climactic moment of our salvation, the apex of all of human history, the crucifixion itself. The story is in Matthew 27, verses 27 and following. These verses show us that leading up to the cross, Jesus endured unspeakable amounts of torture and suffering. We know that he was flogged, Matthew tells us, with a whip, commonly in those days called a cat of nine tails, long strips of leather with pieces of of bone and metal embedded in the ends of the leather straps. The hard part, they say, was not getting struck by the whip. It was that this metal and this glass and, and bone would dig into your skin and latch in like a hook. The Roman soldier would set it, and then he would pull it so that it it ripped, it flayed your skin open. They say that when Jesus was done being scourged, he was probably at least partially disemboweled. After his his back was laid bare, he was forced to carry his own cross on that long road to Golgotha, the place of crucifixion. A crossbeam, they say, that that probably weighed well over 100 pounds made of of rough-hewn wood that was filled with splinters that, that would further have lacerated his raw, bleeding back with every step that he took. At the place of execution, they stripped him naked and they put nails in his his hands and his feet. The Romans had perfected this torture technique. They knew where to put the nail in at the at the pressure point where it would it would go into a nerve and cause excruciating and unending pain. They put upon Jesus a crown of thorns, thorns an inch and a half or two inches long that that would have fixed between the skin of his forehead and his skull. When they put him up on the cross, they say that he would have died by asphyxiation. And the way it would work is you would pull yourself up to take a breath and you would hold it for as long as these nails in your hands and feet would allow you to hold yourself up and then you would collapse back down and eventually you would lose the the strength necessary to lift yourself up and take a breath. Behold, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus on this cross was drinking the cup of God's wrath against our sins. In Isaiah, God had described his wrath like a cup of bitter poison to drink. As God was holding out that cup to us to drink the punishment for our sins, it's as if Jesus on that cross stepped in the way and intercepted that cup and drank it for us to the dregs. The theologian Jonathan Edwards described it like standing in a valley um, as a mighty dam breaks open and you see this gigantic wall of water coming to you and you think it's going to sweep you away and just when you're about to give up hope, the ground in front of you opens up and swallows every bit of that water so not a drop of it touches you. As God's wrath was coming toward us, Jesus stepped to the cross. He took the cup of God's wrath. He drank it to the dregs. He turned it over and set it down on the table and said, it is finished. Jesus was humiliated in your place. He was accused in your place. He was condemned in your place. He was defiled in your place. He was abandoned, beaten, and executed in your place. Jesus did not just die for you. He died instead of you. Now, just like in his account of the trial, Matthew identifies three types of people around the cross in that moment that are supposed to represent three different responses, three different potential responses to Jesus. I want you to listen and see which of these groups you might 
you might find yourself in, which one you might identify with. First, we've got the criminals hanging next to Jesus on the cross. The description I would use of them is angry. Both of them, by the way, at first, we know eventually one of them has a change of heart and repents and asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom and Jesus receives him. But in verse 44 there, you'll see that, that at first they both mocked and cursed Jesus for not being able to save himself or them out of their pain. Well, these two criminals represent those who curse God for not delivering them from their pain. Hey, Jesus, you know, if you really are who you say you are, then you'll help me out. You'll make this stop. Jesus, if you're really God, if you're real at all, then you'll stop pain and suffering in the world. These are people who think that their pain or somebody else's pain proves that God is a fraud, that he doesn't really care, or maybe he doesn't even exist. But Jesus, like we've seen throughout the study, Jesus was accomplishing a far greater salvation for us than a, a simple deliverance from suffering. And what that meant was that he must endure the cause of our suffering, the ultimate cause, the sin. And he would take in our sin and suffering and die for it on the cross before delivering us from it. Now that he's done that for me, of course, I can trust that he's not forsaken me in my pain and he's using my pain for his good purpose. That, that doesn't mean that I don't still go through pain sometime. Again, like I said in a previous session, I may not understand everything that God is doing in my pain. But the cross proves to me that he cares and it proves to me that he's in control. I may not know what some painful thing in my life means, but the cross shows me what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that God has abandoned me or God has lost control. If God saved me from my greatest condemnation, my sin, then he won't abandon me in my struggles either. So first we got the criminals beside Jesus who are angry. Next we have the authorities who misunderstand Jesus. They laugh at him and they mock him. They make a sarcastic sign to display above his head on the cross that reads, this man said he was the king of the Jews, but look at him now. He didn't quite accomplish everything that he hoped, did he? Well, see, I think these represent those people who evaluate Jesus solely by what he accomplished on earth and, and reject him for not making things better. They don't understand what Jesus was really here for. Now, today it usually comes out more polite than what we see demonstrated by these religious leaders, but it usually sounds similar. It sounds something like this. Well, Jesus was a good man, I'll give you that. He taught some quaint things and lived a good moral life, but, but not much more, and there have been lots of religious leaders like that. He introduced some good ideas, but ultimately, he died like we all do. In fact, I know of one former Christian who, who said, I stopped following Jesus because I figured if Jesus really was who he said he was, why was there still so much pain in the world? But you see, right before Jesus died, Jesus said two things from the cross that show us that he was up to something much bigger than simply trying to stop bad things happening on earth. First, we see him cry out in verse 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote from Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before Jesus. And what it shows you is that Jesus' death was not an accident. He was being forsaken by God as part of a, a bigger plan, a plan that ultimately would bring a greater victory, a greater victory than simply deliverance from suffering, a victory that would turn death itself upside down. And we know that the God who planned the cross is a God who is capable of accomplishing ultimate victory in the resurrection. That was the first phrase. The second phrase Jesus said that shows us he was up to something a lot bigger was the phrase, it is finished. In Greek, it was a really common word, the word tetelestai. It's what they would write on, on receipts after a debt was paid in full. When Jesus died, he cried out tetelestai. It's paid, it's finished, it's complete. By the way, when Jesus says this, verse 51, 
It tells us that the veil that separated the people from God in the temple was torn from top to bottom. This veil was a, um, a curtain about four inches thick. It was called in Hebrew the paraket. It literally meant shut off. It's what shut off people from the presence of God. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. That barrier, that paraket, was ripped from top to bottom. From top to bottom, showing that it was God's work, not man's. The gospel is not man's reach up to God. It's God's reach down to man. Through his death, Jesus had reopened the way to God. So before you reject Jesus, understand the salvation that he was trying to accomplish. All right, so we got the criminals who were angry. We have the authorities who misunderstand. And finally, we got the outsiders who adore him. Verse 54 says that one of the Roman centurions who had been charged to keep watch over Jesus as he died was filled with awe as he watched these things transpire and he worshiped Jesus saying, truly, this man was the son of God. By the way, how amazing that the only person who really seems to get it at the crucifixion was an outsider, a Roman, one of the oppressors, the, the, the torturer, not a religious person, a pagan. What does that show you? Well, it shows you first that God can change anybody's heart. Never give up on somebody. God can change anyone's heart, even those that are really far from him. The second thing it shows you is that no matter how far you feel from God, Jesus' death was sufficient for you. I mean, if he would save one of his Roman executioners who had mocked him and tortured him, he'll save you also. Friend, Jesus' wounds were for you. The way to the Father was torn open for you. Your sins, as bad as they are, were covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, your sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. So I want you to consider, do you find yourself in one of these three groups? Are you angry and disbelieving? Are you somebody who misunderstands Jesus and his mission? Or are you, like the Roman centurion, somebody who's coming to understand that there, there really is something truly unusual, something special, something absolutely unique about Jesus, that he wasn't just a man. He was the son of God. Do you adore him? To all of us, God reaches out. His statement on the cross, it is finished, was about your sin and my sin. And he offers that payment to all who will receive it. John 1.12 says that as many as received him, to them he gave the privilege to be called the sons and daughters of God to those who believe on his name. It's just receiving him. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart man believes unto righteousness. It's with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call on him today. Great, thanks, Dean. Unfathomable love, it's just stunning, isn't it? Um, I, did, I don't have any questions to give to you today to add to your own thoughts. I just want to finish today by mentioning one of the three groups of people. The second group, the authorities. Those who misunderstood what Jesus was really here for, that he, Jesus was a good man, a teacher, set a great example, but nothing more. You know, the ones that were previously called about the distracted, the too busy, those who don't realize that they need a savior. So I want to ask you, who are those in your lives that you know that don't know Jesus? I just want to encourage you to keep acting on them, keep praying for them. Um, 
I met with a couple of guys yesterday who have been friends for nearly 50 years. <clears throat> We've run thousands of kilometres together. We've done all the hills everywhere, the valley, everywhere all around. Um, and I know actually that God's used them in my journey, even particularly when I was a teenager. And, um, and I know, though I see them that way, I don't know that they see their helping of me that way, but I know God did and he used them. I really want to see them on the other side. I want to see them on the other side. At the moment, they're atheists. They, they're um, both semi-retired. They're very wealthy. They're um, and all that. Uh, one um, spends, he just, he loves cycling. He's just done a tour down the country. He was describing yesterday, it was a 30-day one from Cape Reina to the Bluff, and he was talking about Nelson going, he says, oh, it was just so beautiful, so stunning. And it stops there, and I just, I don't get that. But, um, yeah, I want him you know, as Jesus said to one of the thieves today, you'll be with me in paradise. Who are those that you want to see in paradise when you get there? I just encourage you, keep praying, keep praying. Let us pray. Lord, Keith Green wrote a song that included these words, so many laughing at Jesus when the funniest thing that he's done is love this poor stubborn rebellious world while the hate for him just goes on. Lord, we want to pray for those we love who are like that, who are just distracted or disinterested or think you're unfair or for whatever reason that they choose to reject you. Lord, that your love would break through in their lives in spite of their reasons. Fill us with your spirit to pray, Lord, to be bold but also to be sensitive, to represent you with love and care. Help us to be good ambassadors of the gospel of your unfathomable love for each one of them. And look, I just stop there. Just name them as... um, as we as a pause. Yeah, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If today has thrown up any questions for you, just really invite you to come and see us. Dean or Gina, one of the elders, your small group leader, we're always ready to try and help you on your journey with God in any way, to bring freedom, release in your life. And if you haven't started the the journey of coming to know Jesus yet, love to talk to you as well to show you and just introduce you more to this unfathomable love that he has for us. Thanks.